welcome everybody to another episode of Let's Build a Christian Nation. I am half your podcast, Lucas. With me as always is Lewis. How are you this fine day, Lewis? Great. Doing great. Looking Good. forward to more conversations on the Christian nation. And, the, Christ, uh, the, the scary Christian nation. Uh, you know, step this, number one, like Lucas, we haven't talked about this. Who should we put burn at the stake first? Right. Who's <laughs> like, the first? right we, yeah, we need to like come up with a list. That's, the show should just be us listing all the different groups we will burn at the stake. Okay. First on the list. Fake Christians who are like, hey man, the Constitution, man. Yeah. Like what freedom of religion, man. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I personally I'd burn the Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> uh their their worst dreams becoming realized. So yeah, like a lot of the pushback that we get when we talk about building a Christian nation, which well, before we get into that. One thing that I've been having a hard time wrapping my head around is I, I feel like every time I say, hey, we were a Christian nation once and we should go back to using Christian principles. I feel like saying that 10, 20 years ago, most Christians would be like, yeah, absolutely. That's that's obvious. Today, that's that is majority of Christians that we talk to. That is not what they don't agree with that almost at all. Yeah, it is. Um, it's weird um, how that shift has taken place, and I think um, I think there's a lot of people that just like kind of. It's a safer place to be in some ways to be a Christian, where you don't have to have that cultural battle. So, you know what <clears throat> what took place in the the '80s and the '90s was there were a lot of Christians, Doctor Dobson. Um, you know, uh, moral majority, Jerry Falwell, um, Pat Robertson back then, he's liberalized in the last, you know, his old age, but there was Christians that were fighting for the good stuff, right? Like fighting against abortion, fighting against, um, the homosexual agenda, et cetera. Um, but what happened was that they, because they did that, they just got brutalized right people comedians would make fun of them um media would make fun of them they were super uncool um and it it made it so that a lot of people were kind of like you step away from someone when when you're the you're at high school and everybody starts making fun of your buddy you don't necessarily want to stand right next to your buddy because you get made fun of too, right? There's that impulse and it's a cowardly impulse, but it's an impulse that we all have. Um, and that happened in the eighties and nineties. And I think that's a, it's an unsafe thing to be there. So I think there's a much more comfortable thing, which I noticed started happening in the early two thousands, which was Christians would just be like, well, I'm libertarian. So like, I kind of think the government should just stay out of all this stuff. And, you know, um, Maybe I'm pro-life, like Ron Paul is, but um, beyond that, like I, I feel like marriage isn't really the the government's business. And there's a safer element to that, right? You don't, you know, like saying it's not my business isn't the same thing as saying this is my business and you shouldn't do it, right? And um, so I think a lot of Christians have adopted that, adopted that in the last ten, fifteen years. I think um, 
Obergfall and the legalization of gay marriage, I think, accelerated that in some ways, where it's just like, well, that's that's a lot of the land it's now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we tried and and we failed, so <laughs> let's move on to something else. And um, yeah, so I I think that's kind of where that comes from, and it's not good. Like, and and it's not effective. It's very there's a reason you don't get attacked for having that position is because it's you're not actually defending anything right you, you know there's there's a principle of you're you're just you're justifying complacency yeah yeah and there's a i mean it's easy you know like if you think about a war and we are in a culture war think about a war if you go stand in a place that's neutral and um you're not defending your own city you're not defending anything you will never get attacked it's a very safe place to be but you're also completely worthless as a soldier <laughs> like you, you you like you might as well not be in the war if you're going to go stand in some place where there's no battle waging and i feel like that's where libertarian christians kind of are for the most part is they're in a place where you know maybe you know, as communism kind of takes hold, you know, more socialistic policies, maybe they get attacked in those situations, but not so much on the culture war stuff, not so much on um, questions of um, should we have gay marriage, should we have allowed trans stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one thing we've talked before about Ron Paul, but I think it'd be interesting like what your position is on his legacy, if, if it was a net positive or a net negative, like taught being able to put Republic neocons to task about the endless wars and fiscal stuff. You yeah. Know, love, love that stuff. But then the culture war stuff, how, uh, like you said, eighties and nineties, moral majority was fighting those things. And in the two thousands, this libertarian strain of Christianity crept in um, at Ron Paul's behest and yeah. yeah, the gay marriage being legalized in 2010. And then, and it was just like, well, Hey, you know, we can't expect everybody to, it, it's so funny too. That it's like, we can't expect everybody to follow these biblical principles, even though we believe in a, a Bible that says that everybody's held to those standards, but we're like, well, he doesn't hold the pagans to stand in the and Bible clearly says that it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my opinion on, Ron Paul is, I think, similar to what you just said, where it's a little bit mixed. I, as a as a dude, he's like the coolest guy ever. He like he's like super angry old man, uh, that has a clear, you know. I think one of the reasons he's very compelling to people is he, he is consistent and he is, um, he's he's someone that his worldview all is kind of internally consistent, which is there's something compelling about somebody that doesn't have any wishy-washiness to them. He's, he's like completely consistent and that consistent worldview. There's elements, like you said, that are very good. Like his anti-war comments are, are great. And I think they've changed the Republican party for the better. Um, or at least the Republican base, I guess the Republican party is still as pro-war as ever. You know, you talk to McCarthy, he's walking around with a, ukraine flag or whatever but um the i think the base is anti-war now and trump kind of followed that um with his anti-war rhetoric as well um but i do think there is 
you know, in terms of like full libertarian, culturally libertarianism, you know, I think obviously having a compelling charismatic person that's got a wrong view on how to fight the culture war was not a great thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, you know, my opinion, I was, like if, if Ron Paul were to die tomorrow, I'd feel really sad. Like I, I oh, like sure. the guy as a, as a person, but like, I just, um, I think his, that libertarian approach needs to go. It just has yeah. been shown Which, to be so wrong. You're talking about Ron Paul's consistency. Did you, you remember that Saturday night live skit of the 2012 Republican presidential so they go check that out it's so they get okay. to ron paul and they're like uh so ron, so let's say there's a house that it's burning and the only way we could take care of it is if a government fire truck comes and he's like no government intervention and the debate <laughs> the moderator goes but but what if it's a house full of puppies and the uh, rob paul's like i don't care let the puppies burn <laughs> and the moderator's like you you are a consistent, crazy old man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he is. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a funny guy and um, very, uh, yeah, very charismatic. But yeah, that's my take yeah. on that. And I, you know, I just think that's very consistent with where we are right now culturally. And I think so many Christians hopped on board with that. Hey, I'm a libertarian, um, and it had it was so much cooler, like to say rather than saying. I'm a Republican or I'm pro-life yeah. or whatever you say, I'm a libertarian. And like all oh, of a sudden, dude. like you're, you're way I, cooler than everybody I, else. I, I felt like the coolest kid on the block be like, actually government intervention is yeah. a bad <laughs> idea, man. You think everybody thinks government's the answer yeah, and yeah. you're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it was, it was the cool place to be in. Like, um, yeah. And I mean, and there's elements, we've talked about this before, elements of libertarianism that's right. I mean, as as a alternative to full-blown communism, yeah, I support it. But um, it's, I think there's, those aren't the only two paths. And I think there's, especially on the cultural front, you can't have libertarianism. It, you know, it just doesn't work. So, so let's talk about that, how a Christian worldview helps equip this modern generation to fight the culture war. I think um, now, I mean, now that the science, right, is so, it, it changes so drastically and rapidly, right? You used to be able to say like, look, um, if a child it thinks they're whatever gender, right? I think, it's, I think it's important to tell them that no child was born in the wrong body and but like no 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 like this, yeah, mr know, mr rogers science. mr rogers he was a fairly <laughs> politically liberal guy and um was on pbs which always was super liberal um mr rogers had a whole song about boys being always being boys girls always being girls he you know you can go on twitter and find all the clips but he he was on like Johnny Carson explaining how sometimes boys get confused about what gender, but you have to clear it up for them and tell them they're always going to be a boy. And sometimes girls get confused. You got to tell them they'll always be a girl. So like this based view of gender, Mr. Rogers is cranking <laughs> out. <laughs> um, who, who, would, so. who would have guessed, who would have foretold that that would be a fringe idea? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I and, I honestly still I'm things are changing, but I still think it's everybody kind of knows that. Like, um, did you see the Matt Walsh? Um, he had that state representative that. Oh, I didn't watch he, the full thing. It's super it's funny. Like, yeah, but I mean, basically, the dude is um, just saying that he's a female, but changing a female absolutely nothing. person of color. Yeah, changing absolutely nothing about himself, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and Just he's not getting he's not getting accepted by the liberals. You know that like they're questioning his transition, and he's uh, he's uh, playing it up. So yeah, it's pretty pretty funny. But I think the fact that they don't accept his transition is kind of proof that even they know the whole thing is BS. You know, so it's yeah, like um, exactly it, it's. So, and I guess this is kind of my point. It's either we have to like troll super hard or we have to get super fundamentalist about the Bible because we've all, we've seeded so much ground about how like science, you know, Christians like religion, I mean, just religion in general has gotten run out of, you can't bring that into science at all. You Any kind of religious convictions you know, once you put on your lab coat, you have to be a materialist atheist in, in order to be a functioning member of those groups. So it's, you know, you can't appeal to biology, you can't appeal to reason, you can't like no, none of those things that we used to be able to appeal to as a source of common ground to be like, hey, 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 this doesn't make any sense. That's all gone. You have to yeah. use your convictions about the Bible uh, you know, if you if you really believe that the Bible is his God's divine revelation to mankind about his will for his creatures, then that's what you got to get spun up on that and be prepared to defend that position. Yep. Yeah. No, it's I think. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things where we need to like be more compelling than them you know douglas wilson in the maybe 10 15 years ago he had kind of built a whole empire of let's make movies let's write books let's start christian schools etc cetera, etc cetera. and catholics have done similar things in the past and i think that's the way to go it's not easy um but i think it is the way to go of like creating um Blaise Pascal, I think, said something along the lines of we're not attracted to truth, we're attracted to beauty. Um, and I th think that there's a giant element of truth to that. Um, and I think that one of the reasons the moral majority or Falwell and those guys were less effective than they could have been was that they put no focus on um being interesting funny beautiful etc um and all their focus was just on making that statement and i think we need that i need uh, we need the truth but i think we also need to be better with on the beauty side of things and just get you know create compelling content funny content interesting content that's where i like that that matt walsh thing is super little bit but like I think stuff like that is effective, right? Like, I think it's it's effective to create good content with the Christian end in mind, right? So you you're not 
you're not falling into the trap of being the angry preacher on a on a stage yelling at people for you know yelling at the poor homosexuals or whatever you instead you're you're funny and nobody wants to nobody wants to be on the wrong side of that humor right like so i i think that's a actually a very effective cultural weapon yes is using humor using beauty using style and um it's not that that's all there is but like you have to have the truth ultimately behind you as well but i think those are you know those are effective things uh you know i'm I think I mentioned this last time, but when we talk about often we get accused of being like the left or using the tactics of the left. And I said it last week is like, as long as those tactics aren't in conflict with Christianity, we should use them because the left is super, super good at fighting the war. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of, you know, like it's, if you were um, the natives fighting against the, the conquistadors and they all came in with guns and muskets and stuff and and then you got a hold of a musket and you started shooting back and somebody was like hey why are you using the tactics of the conquistadors you'd say well we have to use them and like <laughs> we're gonna lose really bad if yeah. we don't and i feel like that's the situation we're in where it's like we have to all hands on deck at this point where they're i mean they're they're coming for the kids. Yeah. Like it's, they're coming for uh, the kids. Yeah. yeah it's and not. It, I've seen people use what you're talking about really effectively. Like um, there's a couple of abortion abolitionist accounts that I follow. So one of the things they do is somebody will inevitably bring up the what about the victim of rape? And what their response normally is, is I don't believe that the child should pay for the sins of the father, right? What you're recommending is that we kill that child uh, when it's the rapist who should be facing capital punishment. That's bad. That's completely backwards. And so they fl they flip it on them, and sometimes you know they'll either change what they're saying or or they'll like it. It'll like oh yeah, like I hadn't thought of it that way. It's like just like don't. Um, I, the mistake is people like, oh, I need to be like really nice and think the best of people and steel man all their arguments. That's such a, a waste of time. Like don't don't straw man them, but I'm not gonna build their argument for them. If you're if you yeah. say that the the most ethical thing we can do if someone is pregnant because of rape is abortion, that's what you're that's what you're saying is that we have to kill that child for the sins of their father and that's you you lay it out that way it becomes very obvious that that can't be the solution do you um do you ever read Saul Linsky's rules for radicals okay yeah it's super super interesting he dedicated it to to satan so um but uh, <laughs> kind of i mean the first page he says something along the lines on his dedication page he says something along the lines of of to satan but anyway it's a very interesting book because he talks about all the left's tactics, all the tactics that you see every day. And some of them Christians can't use, but some Christians can. And um, they're uh, one of the things he talks about just when it comes to like being an effective leader, he talks about getting rid of nuance. Right. So he said when the founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, when Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, 
a more honest declaration of independence would not have been just to list the bad things the king had done, but also the good things. The king had done a lot of good things for them. Uh, the king had you know helped provide uh, security against the French, helped them win the French and Indian War in the 1750s. Um, so if Jefferson had you know really wanted to be fair in his declaration of independence, he would have not only listed the bad things, he would have listed the good things the king uh, did and kind of weigh them out at the end and like say, well, all things considered, I think we should declare independence. Um, but he didn't do that because that would be terrible rhetoric and it would be terrible leadership to to do. Instead, you have to like let the other side make their own defense and you make the offense, right? Like, so let them, you know, as long as you're not being dishonest, explain what you're doing get rid of the nuance and make make it clear because if you if you do all that in the end everybody might say hey lucas was really fair with his statement but they won't say yes let's go fight <laughs> you know like they won't say yes right. let's go right and that's the i think that's the the challenge to a lot of christians is that they're uncomfortable with that. They're uncomfortable with with kind of a black and white truth. And I I understand the that discomfort on, on some level. Um, but on another level, like we kind of need it right now. Like we're we're nuancing stuff that shouldn't be nuanced. We're we're nuancing um like we said, coming for the kids. You know, we're nuancing yeah. um abortion. We're nuancing whatever and these things are the closest things you could possibly have to a black and white thing so let's get rid of the nuance let's use good rhetoric let's use a clear statement of you know like what it is so you know i think yeah. that's that's one approach we need to take and, and what you just said the discomfort i think if people were if christians that are sitting on the sidelines were honest that's their biggest hang-up is like you know like back in the 90s and 2000s, we didn't have to do it. Well, that's why we're in the position we're in now. This this was always the plan was was to go after our kids. And we've been yeah. abdicating our role in in fighting that. We At some point, we have to uh, pick up the sword here. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is if you go back and you listen to the moral majority, you listen to those guys from the 80s, they were all warning of this. They were all warning that they would come for the kids eventually. Um, that was like, they could tell that's where the agenda was going. Um, and they were already doing I... it to some degree back then. They had NAMBLA and all kinds of weird stuff back then. Um, but yeah, I, uh, nobody, I, I think I've shared the story. I think I've shared the story before when. Um... 2010 when gay marriage that was all being debated in the supreme court i remember talking with my mom and she was like look if they legalize gay marriage then next it's going to be bestiality and kids and everything else i was like mom 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 that that's that's the mom that's a slippery slope fallacy and uh you know you can't you can't just assume that that's going to happen whoever came up with this whoever came up with the slippery slope fallacy that whole concept it was kind of brilliant because like it forced <laughs> people to reject obvious consequences of stuff right so it's like uh, what's gonna stop the next step here slippery slope 
you know, like it's no, like literally there's no logical reason why I wouldn't go the next step, but, um, don't let me forget. I want to, I want to clip what you just said like that. We need a, we, and I, and that's, that actually makes me wonder like, where did, who came up with that? Cause yeah. more, I like the, the more I think about it more often than not. Yeah. Like there are other consequences that happen with decisions yeah, that people, we make. People see the obvious consequence of something <laughs> and they talk about it. And then other people are like slippery slope fallacy. <laughs> it's just like, no, that's the obvious. That's what's going to happen. We all know that's what's going to happen. So, yeah. Oh, that's that's a that's a good topic. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do some research. <laughs> Who came yeah. up as watch? It's like Saul Linsky or some other leftist is like here. Somebody's somebody suggests that there's consequences to these policies we're promoting. Here's a new Use policy. The slippery slope policy <laughs> <laughs> to get them to shut up. Um. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, uh, for for Christians. Today, then, does this mean that we need to vote Republican on everything? Do we need to like run for office? But I, I, I would say I hope I wish that more Christians were get into politics. I, I consider it a lot myself. But I think one thing that we both can agree on is that you can. Um, I think one line in the sand: Christians need to stop pretending that it's okay to support a pro-choice po political candidate. It's it, it's so incompatible with the Christian faith. It's so incompatible with the historic Christian faith. You know, we talked about the Didache, one of the original governing, governing documents that back then explicitly stated that abortion is wrong. We've, Christians have never been okay with abortion in spite of what liberal progressive Christians today might say. Christians have never been okay with abortion and we need to stop pretending that like, look, I, it's like, I'm voting for this guy and I know he's, but you know, I, I believe these other things that he's running for. And I just kind of have to hold my nose and accept the fact that I'm a voting for a pro-choice candidate. S stop doing that. Stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like solutions, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the, like, I've lost so much faith in our political system over the last few years. Like I'm very blackpilled on the idea that we can just vote our way out of this. I, I don't know that we can. Um, I feel like, you know, you get guys like Kevin McCarthy that as he's running for the speaker, as he's trying to get approved for the speaker, he's like, Hey, we're going to audit the Ukraine. We're going to do these things. And like the second he gets, the speakership he's like i was just saying theoretically we could audit stuff but we're not going to and don't worry open checkbook stays and like the these people will lie and they do it on i mean obamacare was the greatest example i don't know how much you remember that but like they obamacare you, got you passed can keep into, your doctor you can keep your no doctor. well i'm talking about the republicans so oh, in 2010 okay. Democrats passed a very unpopular bill. I mean, like Obamacare was incredibly unpopular. That's what people don't realize. When it got passed, the country was like 70-30 against it. The polls were horrible. Um, Democrats were like scared to vote for it. It was a horrible bill. It added cost, added all kinds of stuff. Everyone knew it was a disaster for the Democrats. Um, 
Republicans ran on it. They said, we're going to overturn it. We're going to overturn it. As a result, Republicans won over and over again, slowly big increases. The big, I think 2012, they won big in the in the midterms. Um, no, I mean, 2010, they won big in the midterms. 2012, I think they gained seats again. 2016, obviously, they won big. Um, but the whole time, the entire time they were saying, we're going to overturn Obamacare. Like that was the promise for that six year period. It was, hey, we will fix this. And Republicans, we kept voting for them, kept voting for them, kept voting for them. Um, 2016, got a Republican president, Republican House, Republican Senate, right? We've been running on this for six years. We've been promising to stop this for six years. Now's our chance. They, you know, Paul Ryan gets together a package. They, they all tie it up and midnight or whatever, before they vote on the bill, a group of Republican senators get together and John McCain, who had run over and over again about overturning Obamacare, took the sword because he was dying of cancer at the time. And it, there was no political consequences for him, but somebody else would have taken it if it wasn't John McCain. They obviously kind of drew straws. John McCain decided to be the guy. And John McCain at the 11th hour says, you know what? I'm not going to support repealing Obamacare. And that was that. And like I said, it, there was a conspiracy that that was not just John McCain. And a lot of people were just furious at John McCain. It's like, okay, yeah, you should be mad at him. But there was a, probably 10 other senators that would have done what he did had, had they been needed. So long story short, like I'm blackpilled as hack on um, – Especially the federal government. I think local governments tend to be less corrupt. Um, so state governments, sometimes you see, you know, you see some of these states banning abortion or, or um, you know, making strides in, in other areas. And I, I think that I'm less blackpilled on, but like in terms of the federal elections, I don't know what to do there. I, I, I'm reading Whitney Webb's, uh, one nation under blackmail right now, which is a long read. It's like two volumes of 800 pages. And, um, she needs, uh, she needs like an editor to like create a 20 page popular novel for those, but or a popular, uh, book for those. Um, but as we're going through, as I'm going through that, it's just like, so it's so clear that there's so much corruption in Washington, just like people that are blackmailed people that are out in it for the money people that are doing so yeah i don't know what do you think are you as black that was a long rant of the black pill from my end but what are you as black pilled as i am or i i, I am not um i'm trying to i can't couldn't remember <clears throat> there's a psalm where it talks about how the the heart of the rulers of the world their hearts r run through god's hands like water so at at, at, a, at a moment god could take the most corrupt politician and force uh, a change um and and i think polit like we could try and do stuff politically and i am like you am not sure 
how effective that would be. And I think what we need first is uh, some sort of a revival. I think Christians need to repent. The, uh, the, the American church needs to repent from sitting on their butt and allowing pagans to malign God and his word that we to the and and buying into the idea that America is a product of the enlightenment and that it's not actually a product of many centuries of western christian rulers christianizing their people using the bible to form their societies i think i think we need to as a church repent from that because if it's like a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of black-pilled Christians on Twitter who are like, hey, man, see how God is allowing all this depravity to manifest, just like Paul says in Romans. He's allowing them to fulfill their darkest desires. He's allowing the depravity to manifest. This is a sign of God's judgment. And it's like, okay, but why would you want that to happen? You Maybe they are right, right? And, and this is... God is letting us get closer and closer, closer to the brink so then he can bring judgment and destroy this country. But why, why would you want that to happen? And, I, and I'm not saying they want to happen, but it's like, they're just like, they, they kind of have this stoic approach. Like, oh, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know, pray about it. Like, hey, yeah, because like, like we. Yeah, no, we, I think, we, I think that's a, that um, the prayer side of thing. I mean, like, was that line um Jesus says I think it's in Matthew 19 but he says um something along the lines of with man this is impossible with but with God all things are possible and um so I like when I look at the complexity of web of corruption in our country whether it's our intelligence agencies or um just the military industrial complex or um organized crime, Israel, et cetera. I look at those things going on and um, I don't know how we can beat it all. It seems like, you know, it seems like me trying to fight against Mike Tyson or something, but um, I do think that there's that prayer element that you touched on where stuff you can, you can defeat giants, right? You can, you can defeat Goliath um, if, you know, if you've got uh, God on your side, so we should there's all that, be praying. Uh, there, there's so there's that example, David and Goliath. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They end up overturning an entire uh, global a an empire's state religion in one day. They overturn that entire thing, but through their protest. Um, there, Jonah going to Nineveh. Which people don't realize, like Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, like you know, that was they were right up there with Babylon in terms of giant empire empires that persecuted Israel. Jonah goes and preaches to this pagan, and and in one day the entire city repents. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That it it doesn't take like again God, and and what if that's the problem? What if the church has just accepted this stoic approach to be like well hey you know if god is just then he's going like but he's gonna you know who's always at the forefront of god's judgment his people 
Yeah. So you, if you, if you're like, Hey man, uh, America's got to go down. Like, look how wicked and corrupt and everything we are. It's like, okay, but that wrath is hitting your door first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what doesn't work, I love the, I love the ideal of the Amish, um, which is going and living on a farm and like Owen Benjamin has done that. He goes and lives on a farm, kind of makes fun of people that are still in the political mix. Um, I don't think that's going to work, you know, and I honestly, no. the, the credit to the Amish, they don't think it's going to work either. Like they expect oppression, right? Um, the idea that you can just go off on your own, maybe you can survive you and your, your kids for 10 more years or whatever, like maybe, um, but the, well, and the, the, and the, the Amish demons are changing the, the, too. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, the, uh, sorry. The, the Amish, to your point that the Amish don't believe that they're good either. Over, So I live in Western Wisconsin. Over here in the neighboring Twin Cities, Minnesota, there were Trump Amish Trump rallies in the cities. So they came out of their farms in rural Minnesota to Minneapolis and in support of Trump, which just it just blow, blows your mind, right? Because they, they've historically yeah. been so, so pied, extremely pietist that they don't get involved in politics at all. Yeah, I think they're not allowed to. That's that's interesting. Um, that's kind of a violation of their whole religion. But, um, but generally speaking, I mean, what the Amish say is like, we know that by not involving ourselves in politics politics will turn against us and we're okay with that you know so like their 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 view is there's no shame in being a martyr there's no shame in them coming to you there's no shame so which i respect more than i think what a lot of people think is like hey if i just go live in the woods like nobody will mess with me and that part is not true like they will mess with you they will go for you. The demons are not okay with you having a nice Christian community out in the woods. Like Waco, nobody, Ruby yeah, Ridge. Yeah. Nobody's going to allow that. Right. So like they, they, um, they will say, Hey, you know what? Those people over there haven't been vaccinated or those people over there haven't been, um, you know, they're, they're teaching their kids hatred and we need to like, make sure that we, Teach, you know, yeah, we teach their kids what we want to teach their kids. So, like, they will never, they will never just be like, oh, okay, you want to live separate? No problem. You know, like, that's never, never going to be their approach. So, um, that's the whole Owen Benjamin go live in a farm, ignore the whole thing. It'll, it's only going to work a little bit longer. It, and it, and that, it that might only not works. Even that only works if he has Christian counterparts who are doing the heavy lifting for him to keep yeah, back the true. gates of yeah. hell. Yeah, right? that's, that, like, that's what's yeah, so frustrating with pietism. Yeah. It's like, okay, that only works if, because historically, right, you look at the, like, <clears throat> Christians who say, we just need to get along, we need to stop judging everybody, we just, you know, everybody has their own way of living. Okay, that was exactly what the romans believed so why did rome persecute the church so severely yeah. it's because the church believed that only jesus was lord 
and they could not accept the this religious plurality of the Romans. They did not say Caesar is Lord, right? We don't. They did. They would not have affirmed. And I think the equivalent today is um, trans women are women. Um, there's all these statements of faith that you have to make nowadays, right? Trans women are women. Um, gosh, what are some others? Uh, well, I mean, gay marriage is okay, right? Yeah. Like, or, um, you know, like there's the, the entire cultural agenda. If you dare not only to tolerate, but to affirm, if you dare to not affirm any of the sexual identities that we have right now, LGBTQ plus or whatever. And by the way, the plus is dark on that whole thing. Um, you, you, if you dare to not affirm all of those things, you are, you know, you're, you're failing to, to give a pinch of incense to Caesar, right? Like you're, you're back yes. in that ancient Roman time and you're refusing to bow down to the God of the state. And, um, yeah, it's not good. And, you know, talking about slippery slope, like you get, uh, an an indication of where they want to go when you talk to a lot of these people where you'll say, you know, I'll say, I just don't want to raise my kids to affirm a sexuality that goes against my religion. And they'll say, well, your kids have an abusive father. And I'm like, what? And they're like, well, that's, you know, you're teaching them hate. I'm like, I'm, you know, so th that's where the, um, the slippery slope comes in. I say, okay, so would you take my kid if if it's abuse would you take the kids from me and sometimes they'll say yes right so like sometimes they'll, they'll well, literally admit that they will and if you think about you know think about that for a second is like so they're they would take your kids from you for disagreeing on a the whole thing so like it's that's the slippery slope. That's where we're going. And, you know, at some point in time, you're going to have to make a decision of like, do I want to sign up to this? Do I want to pin give a pinch of incense to Caesar or do I want to lose my kids? In, in the state of Washington, that's the law now. Your child can go and get trans-affirming surgery without you knowing anything about it. They can, they can have this whole identity, everything at school, and then at the school will actually help them find trans-affirming care behind your back. That's Washington state law now. So to, so your uh, hypothetical of, hey, I don't support this. And my if my kid was wanting to explore this, I need to know about it. In Washington, that's, that's considered abuse, and they'll take your kid from you. And that's becoming more and more prevalent now. Like they they're they're going after your kids. Well, the lo the logic is there, right? And you know, a lot of I've heard atheists say similar stuff with the teaching of hell. So, like, if you teach your kids hell, that's abuse. And I say, well, okay, so you would take them away from me? And if they're honest, they say yes. So, like. That that's where like you teach your kids Christianity, whether it's the Christian morals about sexuality or whether it's the truths of, hey, there is a hell and you're going there if you don't, you know, submit to Jesus. Like 
those are considered abuse by a large percentage of these people and that's that's where it's going so man yeah we've kind of gone down the dark path but the upside <laughs> the upside to all this is like it is a spiritual battle and we know who wins right so like um we've talked about uh that hideous strength before on this podcast um that hideous strength written by c.s lewis really really good book um kind of dark it starts off as like this similar to everything we've talked about there's this unstoppable organization world government conspiracy um international um organization called nice which i can't remember what it stands for but basically they're they're responsible for um uh experiments on the people and and you know build basically building the all-powerful state up and um really good book super interesting very prophetic but uh George Orwell, when he read the book, gave it a negative review, and his negative review was something along the lines of, because C.S. Lewis included God in the book, you knew from the beginning who was going to win, and therefore it took all the drama out of the book because he included God. And I kind of agree with George Orwell not about that book, but about real life is like, we know God, God is involved and we therefore knew who's going to win. And so C.S. Lewis was right to include God because his book was prophetic and it is talking about the way things are. And so it, that should be an encouragement to us is that God is involved and we know who's going to win. And um, so as, as black pilled as we can be about these lunatics that are like, threatening to take our kids and stuff um, and these elections and this corruption and all this stuff in the end, we do know who's going to win and it's going to turn out great. So um, yes. they're, they're, yeah. they're going to lose in, in the end. In the, in the meantime, I think it's important. We do fight. Yeah. You know, I have, I have four kids. I know you have kids as well. Like we want to fight so that our kids have the best, everything, freedom, Liberty, the ability to practice our faith, and the ability to preach that faith to others without the fear of persecution. Like I would love to, you know, I grew up in that. I want to be able to give my kids that if I can, Like we should, the, the Christian pietist attitude that has really come up where it's like, Hey, you know, what are you going to do? You know, God is sovereign and he has to judge us. And like, come, like just fight, just show, show your kids yeah. that you care, show, show God that you, appreciate his many blessings because of this, the America, there's a lot of reasons why America doesn't have a, a persecuted church like in China or Indonesia or other places in the world. And it's because of the people before you, your ancestors who fought very hard for the institutions that we completely take for granted, or we, we attribute those institutions we attribute their origin to enlightenment principles instead of the Bible where they actually came from. Yeah. Um, one more like long-term way to win this war. Um, and it's a piece of it. It's not the whole thing, but a big piece of it is, man, have kids, you know, like have four, five, six kids, you know, have a, have a good, big family and then don't just let them on the internet and learn from 
Mr. Beast on on morality, keep them off the internet and teach them to be fighters, to be warriors, to like believe you know believe in the truth, um, fight against evil, um, explain to them why the sexuality stuff is weird, homeschool them, etc. Like because ultimately. Right now, 25% of Gen Z identifies as LGBT. 25%. So on one end, that's like horrible and immoral. But on the other end, recognize that that probably means 25% won't have kids, right? Like at least, right? 25% of that generation uh, will be childless. And so if you think about if we as Christians can just have lots of kids that we raise in the faith within a generation or two that's going to make a giant difference and um so you know i think we all need to like do that and do our best to raise them to be warriors and it doesn't always work i've known people have had you know big families and some of those kids fall away and it's super sad when that happens but um it's even the i would say even the kids that fall away sometimes like the the a lot of christian culture gets bad press from a lot of christians where they're like oh it's good that people aren't nominally christian anymore you know you either stand up and be a christian or don't stop calling yourself a christian but there there's a cultural christianity i think that helps right like when you're raised in a christian family and you're taught to forgive and you're taught to um be fair and you're taught to love etc even if you reject the faith which God willing, none of our kids will reject the faith. But even if they do, sometimes those values remain so that the next generation, you know, even if if some of those kids have fallen away, the next generation at least has the Christian values, right? So that's, I think that's what we're losing in America right now is we're losing the cultural Christians, right? You know, the actual believing Christians hasn't dropped off that much. You know, church attendance is roughly what it was 20 years ago, you know, maybe dropped a little bit, but like we've, what we've lost is the cultural Christians. We've lost the people that were raised in church that even though they weren't believers, they still kind of shared some of those values. They still believed on some level that you should forgive people that you should be fair, that freedom was okay, that, you know, they, they knew what it meant to be raised in a household where people didn't believe in the LGBT thing or whatever. And therefore, you know, like if you're raised in a household um, where your, your dad is against LGBT, you're probably not going to support laws to like destroy LGBT, right? <laughs> or de- destroy uh, Christians or whatever that, that are against LGBT or whatever. So that cultural Christianity is important. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but like, I personally believe that it's necessary to have a Christian culture. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, in every Christian society, even the most Christian societies in history, you have a large percentage of people that either are not, not true believers or, not believers at all and um or on the other you know like wishy-washy or whatever but the culture guides them to do the right thing on a lot of things and i think that culture is needed to guide 
everybody. And oh, when I, you remove when you remove that, like you end up leading to down dark paths of of craziness. Um, I think the perfect one of the perfect examples of cultural Christianity, which I think is so important. I totally agree with everything that you just said. You Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, and it's it's funny. I read um, Charles Schultz biography. They he they pushed the the producers of that show of that movie pushed back heavily against his inclusion when uh, Linus preaches the the nativity scene that whole story like what is Christmas about and he goes into that and it's like oh that it's so beautiful and every you know Americans. I don't know globally how many people watch that movie, but I know in America, like there's people that watch that every year and every year they get that. That's, this is what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown. Like that. that and that's a part of our culture. Like, I, I love that stuff. And it, it breaks my heart when Christians don't appreciate the Christian culture that we have, the elements of, of the Christian culture that we have that, that are ingrained in there. And we just, we just ignore it. We take it for granted or we downplay it. I, yeah. That stuff is so important. Um, everything you said, like all these ideals that we take for granted. I mean, like the the idea that every human being deserves dignity and respect. That's a Christian idea. You don't find that in pagan in religions. You know, yeah. the, the strong eat the weak, and um, and we're and we're seeing that now, where trans women are telling women who are uncomfortable with trans women being in their spaces, they're like, well, you know, you're the bigot, you're and they're, if you're uncomfortable with this, then you need to get out of here because I'm a woman. And I, so you're seeing this again, you're seeing the strong telling the weak what they can and can't do this. That's paganism. That's always been that way. We take for granted our, our cultural Christianity and we need to at least appreciate it. So I would, so as we continue to talk about how we need to build a Christian nation again, I think one of the things that we need to stop being ashamed of being Christians. We need to stop being ashamed of Christian culture. We need to actually appreciate those things and stand up for those things when people disparage them. Um, yeah, I think for, for me, that's a good place for me to to end, uh, start wrapping yeah, up our podcast. That, what were yeah, your final up. thoughts? I agree. That's that's ultimately the thing is is. We live in a society that's been so shaped by Christianity. Um, I don't believe in Christianity because it works, but it does work, right? And like, <laughs> it's, it's it is a beautiful thing. Just even as a a non-believer steps back and looks at what Christianity has done to the world, and it's it is beautiful. It is great. Um, ultimately, yeah. that's not a not a good reason to be Christian, but you know. I think it's true and it's, it's one um, of the one of the perks yeah exactly <laughs> and it's so yeah everything you said and yeah i agree that's a good good place to stop that's our our theme for today is you know cultural christianity is a good thing so. there we go there we go um next week i think we'll talk about because sometimes people say oh you want to build a christian nation like we had back in the 1940s and 50s like i, I don't think that mayberry i don't think that 19 that that picture we have of 1950s america uh suburban family with the pick white picket fans i don't think that's the epitome of a christian nation i think that and actually a lot of the problems that we have nowadays started 
back there and we, we, we talked about like the CIA and all and we, we stopped believing in things like the witness standard, our prison system, our prison, the prison industrial complex, which is very a counter to scripture. Like, oh, there's, there's a lot of problems that began in those eras where we started divorcing ourselves from Christian principles. So I think next, in future, next week, especially, but in future episodes, we're going to talk about what a Christian, what kind of Christian nation are we like? What's the end? What, 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 what's this idea that Lewis and I have of what America looks like as a quote unquote Christian nation? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You can't rewind the clock, even if you wanted to. Um, and like you said, when you did rewind it, you'd find they had problems back then too. So, you know, I, I think the, the goals should not be traditionalism necessarily, but kind of futurism in Christ, right? So like a, an idea of a future that's further transformed by um, Christianity and and deeper in the truth of um, of scripture and the church and and uh, Christ, Christian morals and teaching. So, so Lewis, uh, you have a sub stack and I think you have a big article coming out this weekend. You want maybe want I to do, plug? yeah, yeah. So I've been working through kind of techni technology and science, and um, working on um, the idea of how does tech, science, and religion, how do those things interact? Um, and so I've written several articles on that recently, um, and I've got uh, an article that's coming out this this weekend um that is on that subject it's on um kind of the the religion of science is is what this the topic is um and my substack is just lewisungit.substack.com um subscribe to that twitter is like de boosting everything that's substack related elon musk i think is at war with substack because they're trying to start a social media to i think to compete with Twitter, which by the way is kind of cool. I've been messing around with it. It's, it's a nice. It's a good. It's a good social media. So um, people should get on Substack anyway and check it out. Try it. Um, can I just say when we're talking about um, all this stuff, Andrew Torbo's Gab. Everybody should get on that thing. Um, he's a good Christian guy. I don't. You know, nobody agrees with anybody all hundred percent, but his heart is in the right place. He's got good tech. Gab is a good platform, so people should get on there. Um, Twitter. So, for those who don't know, Gab is a social media platform like Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Yeah. But it's by by a Christian for Christians. So he's a Christian not, nationalist, by the way, and he, he, he has a Christian a book. nationalist, I, by the way. So I, can, I think he wrote can, a book uh, that I read. Um, it was called the. Um, I think it's just called Christian Nationalism. Um, yeah, but by Andrew Torbo. So people should check that book out because it's, it's pretty good. But and Andrew, yeah, I think Andrew Isker also wrote that as well, was like a co author, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to. I'll, I have to, I still have to read that. Um, yeah, and so, so that's uh, find Lewis on Twitter, Gab. Uh, is it a similar handle on Gab? It's different. So on Twitter, it's I am Lewis U. On Gab, it's Lewis Ungit is the is the handle. So um, and then um, Substack is lewisungit.substack.com. Um, I also please buy my book. Um, we haven't talked 
any way um, about how drugs have kind of factored into a Christian nation, but spoiler alert, they don't factor into a Christian nation. They're not yeah. good for society and they are being used against us um, by a variety of powers. Um, so I wrote a book uh, talking about the dangers of drugs. So you guys can check that out. It's um, Return of the Dragon by Louis Unga. You can find it on Amazon. So. And I, and I, it's a it's a great book. I love it. I'm excited because I know eventually you'll do a second edition. I know you have a lot more information now that like the somebody had sent us uh, where the at when the Spanish was working with the Aztecs and the Aztecs were freely talking about how they would use drugs to talk to demons and like we're trading with the demon. Like it was just like a regular like, yeah, we trade with these people. We trade with demons. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. whoa like <laughs> yeah no the spanish writings on um the aztec use of uh mushrooms is crazy and they'll have picture you'll see pictures i have some of this on my substack people can dig through old articles but they'll have pictures of the person eating the mushroom and behind him uh, a demon like grabbing his brain right like a photo wow. of, of that and the Spanish would write things like um, they took mushrooms and then they decided to go practice cannibalism. <laughs> and so, like, you know, like it's the, for the Spanish, it was a very direct uh, link between the violence yeah. and, and the and the psychedelics that they were taking. Um, so my book the, the talks church. all about that. I, yeah. I don't have the you're right. I do need to have a second edition that adds some of this detail. So I don't have all that. But it still does go into the history a little bit of some of these, yeah, these groups, it does. and um, people should check it out. It's it was mind blowing for me when I did the research, and everybody I've talked to that has read the book have found it pretty mind blowing as well. So um, definitely check. I, it I out. know I did. Um, yeah. So very glad you wrote that book. Um, so that's all Lewis has got going on. Um, I can be found at Addicted to Grace. I have a Gab account, and I need to start using it more because Twitter. Looks like it might be changing. It might be changing for the worse. And it's good to support Christian endeavors. Uh, speaking of which, I, I have a project that just came out uh, yesterday, Friday. Um, we're recording this on a Saturday. Uh, I'm working with the Servants and Herald podcast network. The title of the project is Your Local Christian Nationalist. So I'm writing a series of letters as your local Christian nationalist, and I'm trying to address a lot of the major concerns, a lot of the hangups that Christians have with the idea of Christian nationalism. Because they, uh, again, like I, like we talked about in this episode, I love our Christian heritage and I'm a, it breaks my heart that we're just, we're just giving it away. We're not even really fighting for it. We're just giving it away. And I'm, I think Christian nationalism, and there's a lot of things that we have to figure out. It's a messy term. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I'm, I've decided to adopt the moniker for myself, identify as a Christian nationalist, explain to you what I think that means and, and how you can be comfortable with the term as well. So please check that out if you want to read it. It's available. Listen, in uh, and listen to the fir first episode. It was very good. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, checked it and, out. And so. so it's it's and it's short. Like I'm, it, I've, there won't be an episode that's longer than 10 minutes. I try to keep it nice, short, succinct. Uh, just get straight to the point in trying to demystify what Christian nationalism means. 
So I'll be doing that on a weekly basis. Big shout out to Jeff Wright at Service and Heralds Network for helping me get that going. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of, lot of stuff going on. So thanks everybody. And we'll uh, like, subscribe, leave us reviews and we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone. Oh!